0: Amen. Well, all year we've been focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and today we're continuing this sermon series, which I have really enjoyed. I hope that it has been helpful to you as well, uh, on the life of the Apostle Paul. And we've used this series as like a case study for learning the way of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul was born Saul of Tarsus, uh, a brilliant young man who was a violent persecutor of Christians. But then, Somewhere around his mid-twenties, Paul met Jesus, he became a Christian, and that changed everything. So by his early forties, he had served as a leader of an influential early church in the city of Antioch uh, before being sent out as a missionary in order to bring the gospel to other people and other places around the Roman Empire. So today we'll see that Paul takes a unique approach in the famous city of Athens, Now, his normal pattern of ministry and even how he talks about Jesus is very different in Athens from other places that we read about in the book of Acts. Uh, Well, how could this be? Does the gospel somehow change? Now, that can't be right, can it? Uh, But remember, the Apostle Paul was the most effective missionary in the history of the world regarding any topic Okay, No one else had a bigger impact than Paul. So if Paul used a unique approach, a different approach in Athens, we need to understand why. What was the logic behind it? Can we understand something? Are there secrets we might be able to uncover here from the Apostle Paul? I think the answer is yes, absolutely. In fact, the, the, the information, the secrets we can uncover in this passage directly help us understand how we might be able to share our faith in our lives in this world now i don't know about you but i've certainly tried to share my faith and sometimes it has gone pretty well and other times it has not gone well at all have you ever tried that have you ever tried to like tell someone about jesus and it's just like what am what in the world am i talking about and they don't necessarily respond well? It's fairly common. Have you ever been scared to talk about being a Christian because maybe you didn't know what to say? Or you weren't sure if you had like answers to questions that people might have? Well, this passage is for you. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. Uh, but I always encourage you to open your Bibles. If you have an app on your phone, open that. It can be helpful to, for you to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. Okay, so we're starting with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. (laughs) Let's pause here, okay? I like how the author Luke throws that in there. Okay, what is happening here? Well, Paul started to bring the news of who Jesus is and what he accomplished to other people and places. And, and, And as we've seen so far, his proclamation also came with a demonstration of spiritual power. That was basically it, and that's what we've seen so far. Um, Now, he started with Barnabas in Cyprus, in the island of Cyprus, and moved north into modern Turkey. And then on his second missionary journey, he went with Silas, and they picked up Timothy and Luke along the way, and they traveled through Turkey to Philippi in Greece. And, And this resulted in all kinds of people responding to the message About Jesus, including, as we've seen, men and women, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, and so on. All kinds of people. Every kind of people. And this is because, as we saw last week, everybody needs Jesus. Now, however, in in addition to the spiritual fruit that he saw, Paul also faced spiritual opposition which sometimes resulted in great social upheaval and even violence in certain places. Uh, So let's look at a map here together. And so from Philippi in northern Greece, uh, that was where Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned, as we saw last week. Uh, They were chased over to Thessalonica and then down to Berea. And eventually the people who were after him caught up with him there. And so Paul traveled down to the south uh, to the city of Athens in Greece. Now after Athens, Paul would travel over to Corinth where he would start the church there that he ended up writing a number of letters to, 1st and 2nd Corinthians among others. And then eventually made it over to Ephesus, which is where we'll land next week. So, okay, so we have to remember that as Paul is traveling throughout these different places in modern Turkey and Greece and elsewhere, um, he's a Jewish man, but he was raised in a Greek city, and so he really, he really is at home almost everywhere he travels, but especially in the great city of Athens, Greece, and that's really, uh, we see that clearly in our passage for, this, for today. Uh, Tarsus was where Paul was raised, which was a Greek city, and Tarsus had its own history of of Greek philosophy. So, traveling to Athens, which was the epicenter of ancient Greek philosophy, Paul would have been somewhat at home. Now, even though Paul had received the best education in the Jewish scriptures, uh, as we'll see from this passage, he was also familiar with Greek philosophers, Greek poets, and to me, this it's like, well, no wonder Jesus picked him to be the apostle to the Gentiles because when Paul, Paul in Athens looks just as at home as Paul in Jerusalem. Okay, well, our passage starts with the statement from Luke that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, who's them? Well, that means the rest of his coworkers. Now, there, there's some evidence that Timothy might have been with him, but Silas wasn't there, and Luke wasn't there yet, and they were still in Berea. So, Paul, it says, was greatly distressed to see that the city of Athens was full of idols. Okay, literally it says his spirit was provoked within him by the idolatry that he saw in that city. Now, it wasn't that unusual for an ancient pagan city, or really, if you think about it, modern, any modern city for that matter, to have all sorts of temples with different idols where worship of various gods or goddesses took place. It wasn't that different, but Athens was especially full of idols. They had multiple temples, which were some of the most beautiful and architecturally impressive structures, buildings on the planet in their day. Athens is still a destination to go see some of these structures that are so old. Athens had temples built to Zeus and to Poseidon and Ares and more. So if we look at, this is one of the most famous temples. This is the temple called the Parthenon, uh, which was a temple built to Athena, the goddess. Um, This is at the Acropolis in Athens. And this Parthenon had already stood for 400 years before the time that Paul arrived in Athens. So temple worship including at places like the Parthenon. They included various sacrifices, offerings, rituals, festivals, and all of those practices defined the city of Athens. In fact, historians aren't sure if Athena got her name from Athens or if Athens got its name from Athena. They were that closely linked in identity. But either way idol worship was so pervasive that it weighed on Paul and not because he didn't understand the appeal of the pantheon of of Greek gods or because he was prejudiced against their religion for some reason but because Paul had an experience with the risen Jesus he met Jesus and as we've said it changed everything And if Jesus was alive, then it proved that he was who he claimed to be. And it validated the whole claims of the Hebrew Bible. It proved that there was only one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And therefore, if there is only one God, then then the whole pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses was false. False. They weren't real and they didn't have the power to help the people of Athens or save anybody. Matthew writes that when Jesus saw crowds of people, he had compassion on them. He was moved, his heart was moved within within him because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now I think that that's to some degree how Paul felt when he got to know the people of Athens and he visited temples like the Parthenon and others and he saw the system of worship, I think that he saw a people who loved wisdom and were known for their culture, but who needed help. They needed the truth and they were bound up in a system that held them in spiritual bondage, you see, He was moved to action, even though his whole missionary team wasn't with him at the time. He couldn't stay silent. Now, maybe that was partially his personality, I think probably. But also, what he saw compelled him by the love of Christ toward these people. And so, starting with the Jewish synagogue, as he did everywhere, Luke writes that that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks now, this is exactly what he has done, as we've seen everywhere. Nothing unique about that. But also, and this seems to be unique to the city of Athens and the culture of Athens, Paul also reasoned in the marketplace, Luke writes, day by day, every day, Paul was there in the marketplace, reasoning with people, trying to help them understand who Jesus is. Now, now for For us today, a marketplace would be what? Like the mall, (laughs) right? So it's a place you go shopping. It might be a place you have lunch after church. It might be a place where maybe teenagers wander around as they have always done in malls. But in this day, in the marketplace in Athens, it was a place for shopping, but it wasn't just that. It was also, as our mall is to a degree today, a public space. It was a public forum. It was a place where the city... Would gather, And not just goods and services were exchanged, but ideas, philosophies, religious opinions and perspectives were exchanged and debated. And so it was here that we're told a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. Now, the Epicureans and the Stoics were two of the most popular streams of Greek philosophy of their day which no doubt had a great impact on the thinking and on the way of life of many of the people of Athens and elsewhere. Now, in many ways, the philosophy of the Epicureans and the Stoics influenced people to this day in our culture, but most people have no idea that the things that they believe and take for granted are actually rooted in ancient Greek philosophy. Well, at any rate we don't know how long Paul continued this marketplace ministry before he started getting some serious questions. Uh, Probably not that long, knowing the effectiveness of the Apostle Paul. But Luke writes that some of them, some of these Greek philosophers, asked him, uh, or sort of asked the forum, what is this babbler trying to say? warm welcome here, okay? Now, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Okay, Uh, They said this, Luke says, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Some questions about whether or not there was confusion about whether the resurrection was an event or another God that Paul was talking about. So clearly there was some confusion here. But the the nature of this accusation that he was advocating foreign gods was a very serious accusation. And the reason is this. Over 400 years earlier, the, the famous philosopher Socrates was put to death in Athens, having been put on trial and convicted of advocating foreign gods. So in an interesting parallel to Socrates, the apostle Paul was to face his own trial for advocating foreign gods in Athens as well. Look at verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Here's a little aside. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Okay, Luke seems a little impatient with this. But anyways, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. Okay, so the Areopagus was the governing council of Athens which met on a rocky hill above the Parthenon and was dedicated to the god Ares, the Greek god of war, known as Mars in the Roman pantheon. And so this speech, this sermon, takes place on the hill of Ares, or Mars Hill. It's here where Paul is asked to explain this new message that he's been teaching and defending day by day in their city. And so Paul stands up knowing that there was a chance that he could be facing his own Socratic death, if you will, and delivers this speech, which is totally unique in the book of Acts. His message on that day was very different from the other recorded sermons we have. And I think the logic of Paul's argument goes something like this. Um, First of all, his logic and, and the implications that follow, there are three implications he gives here, are firmly rooted in a Jewish understanding of who God is. So Paul, but with this Jewish perspective, Paul easily engages with Greek philosophy, poetry, and culture in the center of Greek culture. But his reasoning is firmly rooted in the Hebrew Bible. So he stands up before this governing council, the elites, in an elite city, and he winsomely starts by referencing how religiously devout they are. He seeks common ground with them. He quotes their own poets. He addresses them with respect, and yet he also challenges them too. He says that even with all of their wisdom and their value of new ideas and philosophies, they still lack knowledge about the one true God, Now, he uses their altar to an unknown god as an analogy of their ignorance, their lack of knowledge, but also as a way of showing that he is not advocating foreign gods, but he is there to proclaim to them, to reveal to them the god that they already admit that they don't know. Paul says that it is this god, not the gods, not Zeus, not Poseidon. Not Ares, not even Athena, but the God of Israel, who is the Lord of the skies and the earth. He is the one who made the cosmos, the universe, including every one of us, every human being, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Therefore, if God is the creator, he gives three implications for them in Athens of this truth. First, if God is the creator of all, then God doesn't live in temples built by human hands, right? How could he? If he made the cosmos, do you think he lives in what we build, the house that we built? Now, of course, this would have come as a shock and perhaps almost an insult to the Athenians who were literally surrounded by some of the most impressive temples anywhere. The second implication of this fact that God is the creator of all, is that he doesn't need anything from us. He is not dependent on us. He is not dependent on our worship. We are utterly dependent upon him. We are the creatures and he is the creator. Now the third implication is that if God is the creator of all, then he cannot be represented by any created thing. Now this is of course rooted in the Ten Commandments. We looked at this ourselves several months ago. But Paul uses logic and reasoning to say if God is the creator, then he cannot be represented by a created thing, even if it's impressive, even if it's the best thing we can make from beautiful carved marble or a precious metal like silver or gold, it still would fall short. It still would not do justice to the one true and living God. So as a result, Paul is arguing in the place of the elite of the elite of Greek culture and worship, that the whole system of Greek worship with its temples and its offerings and its images and its idols are all categorically wrong. The whole system is based on a false understanding of who God is, and it is powerless to save. Now let's take a step back and see that this is what God has always called people to turn from. All the way back in the time of Abraham, when the one true and living God, the creator, called Abraham to leave his family and his homeland in Ur, Abraham left behind a whole other pantheon of man-made Sumerian gods and goddesses. And it was through his relationship with Abraham and his family that God promised to bless all of the nations, all of the peoples, all of the families of the earth. But ever since the fall to sin, human beings have tried unsuccessfully to figure out who God is or who the gods are and how we can earn their favor and blessings in our lives. However, the one true and living God, the creator of the cosmos, the Lord of heaven, he cannot fully be known from his creation. Now we can know aspects of God's character by what he has made, just as we can learn something about the character of an artist by the way that they produce their art. But you can't know someone personally simply by looking at something that they made. You need to talk with them. You need to listen to them. You need to meet them. You need to be with them. And from Abraham on down, God has been revealing himself to people in order for us to know him and be known by him. This is the steady drumbeat throughout the whole Bible. God wants you to know him. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He wants you to know him as well. He wants to be your God and for you to be his people. And this is all done in order for us to receive his favor and his blessing freely as a gift of his grace. And in order for us to respond to him truly and rightly. To worship him according to his character and his will. Now here in Athens, the people of Athens are receiving this ancient call once again. It's the call of a loving God. I'm here. Know me. Leave your false ways of worship behind. Repent. That just means turn. Turn away from your way and turn to my way. And experience, enjoy the fullness of the favor and the blessings of God which are given freely to all in Christ. So the creator God who is transcendent over all and separate from his creation is also near and can be personally known in Jesus. What a message. Well, we can see the result of this message at the end of this passage. Look look at verse 32. Let's finish this. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. (laughs) Probably figured his luck had run out. Get out, right? At that, he scrammed. Now, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and and a number of others. (sighs) This is God's word. So, this is Paul in Athens, okay? The result of this incredible sermon, of which I think what is recorded here is probably only a summary. The idea that Paul would only have two minutes to speak to the Areopagus is probably not likely. He probably spoke at length, and this was a summary. But anyways, despite that, and despite being very different from the other examples of Paul's preaching in the book of Acts, his gospel proclamation, you know, the result is pretty much the same. It's almost exactly the same as Philippi and other places. Some people believed and some didn't. Some people heard the good news about Jesus and the resurrection and they believed it and they became Christians. But others rejected Jesus. They, they sneered at the idea that a man could be raised from the dead and they rejected him in hardness of heart. So, thus the church in Athens is born. Now, I think because of Paul's skill and his tact in this approach, he wasn't actually thrown in prison or killed. His speech here, even if this is a summary, is a brilliant speech in this context. Now, perhaps earlier in his life, things might have been different. When he was younger, maybe less, slightly less wise, who knows what might have happened. But in this case, he was wise in his approach, and so he found uh, some people who were open and receptive to his message, even in what could be considered the capital of pagan worship and philosophy on the planet, and he lived to tell the tale. Well, how does this as interesting as it might be, if you're like me and kind of into philosophy and things like that, and history, uh, I nerd out over stories like this, but how does this apply to our lives today? Thank you for asking. I'd like to leave you with one thought as we close today here, and it is this. The content of the gospel never changes, but the context does. The content of the gospel never changes. It's always about Jesus, but the context does. Paul's message to the Areopagus was something like this, if I could summarize it. You're right to believe that God is real and deserving of our worship. But God is the creator of all, and we are his creatures, not the other way around. He made us, we have not made him. So not only does it not make sense to worship idols we have made, but it dishonors the true creator. Now to atone for this false worship, we must repent and trust the one that God has appointed to judge the world, that is Jesus Christ. And the proof of this claim is the resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead, so we must listen to him. We can trust him. We can follow him. He knows the path that will lead to life, to lead to the good life, if you're into philosophy. So Paul's message is about judgment against false worship. It's about repentance and faith in Jesus. In other words, it's a basic message of the gospel. However, it's unique because of Paul's context there in Athens. So Paul finds common ground in their desire to honor the gods in their worship, in their idols. He sees that as a connecting point to the gospel. He finds common ground in their desire to engage in new ideas and talk about new philosophies and things. It's a connection to the resurrection from the dead. Finally, he he sees a connecting point in their culture. Some of their own poets have written some things about about this that line up with the gospel. And they desire; they have a desire for justice, which is also a connecting point to the gospel. In other words, Paul starts with where they are, but then goes on to show how Jesus is the true fulfillment of all that they long for and need. So the content of the gospel doesn't change, especially the part about Jesus and his death and resurrection from the dead. But the context, the audience, and all of their preconceived notions and expectations and cultural uh, values, those things always change. From one friend of yours to the next, the context will change a bit. From one member of your family to the next, from one coworker of yours to the next, the context is a little different. So to be effective in this joyfully exciting and eternally rewarding work of helping people come to faith in Jesus and helping people grow in their faith in Jesus, we must pay attention both to the content and to the context of the gospel. We must seek to understand where people are coming from. Without judgment, we have to seek to understand people this is about loving people and then we have to understand what they believe and why without any disdain asking questions trying to gain an understanding and then gently but boldly pointing people to jesus because everybody needs jesus but the way that we share Jesus must be motivated, as Paul was here, by the love of Christ. Moved in his heart, disturbed in his spirit by the how full the city was of idolatry. Moved by his love, of the love of Christ that he had received for others, which included finding common ground and handling this conversation and eventually his trial with all the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And if by the grace of God, we share the gospel in this way, there's no reason why we wouldn't see the same fruit of the Apostle Paul. Some will believe and some will not yet believe. This is the kind of church that we want to be. Our mission is sharing good news and I would submit to you, the content of our good news doesn't change. We will continue to talk about Jesus and his death and resurrection until the day we die. But how we talk about that in a particular conversation or in a particular place like Appleton is going to change a bit depending on our context. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to do even today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we cannot do this work of sharing good news on our own. We are desperate in need of everything that you have promised for us. We need your spirit to lead us and guide us. We need your wisdom to help us to see and discern what would be the right thing to say and what would be the wrong thing to say in a particular conversation or within a particular relationship. And Father, if we, like Paul, are ever on some sort of public trial, Lord, would you give us the words to say to rightly and and truly represent the goodness of who you are and the goodness of what you have accomplished for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray that as Jesus was moved, we would be moved that as he had compassion on people who needed help, we would have compassion on people too who need help, who need the truth, who need a friend, who need, someone, who, who need someone to lovingly lead them in the way of following Jesus. Lord, would you do this work in us and would you do this work through us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.